fantastic. Thanks, guys. I believe God's saying that to us as a church. Come away with me. I've got a plan for your life. And it's not boring. It's going to be wild. It's going to be great. And it's going to be full of me. And uh, I'm, I'm doing a mini-series on you. Last week I talked about the church is heavenly family. And I don't know if we could sort of lose a bit of the, the boominess. You can all hear me, right? Okay. And um, <clears throat> this week I want to talk about the church as a theater of dreams. And, and really I just feel God is showing us stuff that kind of redefines our expectations of what church is. Um, and that's what we saw about how Jesus said he would build his church, remember? Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16. But what blueprint was he building to? What, what, what was he seeing that he was trying to then create on the earth? And we just referenced the fact that actually he came from heaven. He came and was part of the Trinity, so he knew incredible relational unity. He knew a perfect heavenly father. He knew glory. He knew angels. When he thought about what does he want to build on the earth, he wanted to build on earth as it is in heaven. So he has, that's why he has to build it, because he's the one who's seen it. And he's letting us in on the plan. He's helping us see what heavenly family looks like, that it's led by a father who loves us infinitely and purely and passionately, and that it's meant to be a place of glory and freedom and health and healing and liberation, and that's what he knew, and that's all that he's trying to build. It's a glorious place. And then we looked at the fact that you can't build family with servants, and so the nature of what church is is actually shaped to some degree by the nature of who we are, the components, the, the people in the church. If we think that we're servants, then we're going to need a master, not a father. And that's been the, the life of church has been like that for, for decades, as I'm aware of in my Christian life. I think I've been a Christian about the same length as you, John. And, 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 and over and over again, we get this scenario where the people of God follow, often in large numbers, people who actually are their masters. And what we've, we've, be, we've heard over and over again preached is we're here to serve, we're here to be humble, we're here to submit, we're here to be all those things. Now, all of those things are biblical. But the unbiblicalness of it is that we forget to tell everybody how great they are first. So we're supposed to live like Jesus. We're supposed to imitate Christ. Philippians 2, be imitators of Christ. Who being in very nature God humbled himself. And we often miss that bit out. Jesus knew how great he was and he humbled himself. He's made us sons and daughters. An, we have all sorts of subtle phrases that delete some of our greatness. So many of you, if you've been in church any length of time, will have heard the phrase, priesthood of all believers. Everybody heard of that? We believe in the priesthood of all believers. That means you don't need a priest to intervene for you to God. You can go yourself, and everyone has a contribution. Now, actually, I believe that, but I believe it's short-selling. My voice is changing. <laughs> it's short-selling, because it's not a Bible phrase. It's part of a Bible phrase. The Bible doesn't talk about a priesthood. It talks about a royal priesthood. I believe in the royal priesthood of all believers, but not in the priesthood of all believers. That's a truncation of the reality of who we are. We're not just priests. We're royal priests. We're princes and princesses in God's glorious kingdom. We're a kingdom of priests to God. We have dignity. We have position we have glory yeah we have significance we're not the insignificant ones just doing our bit of service and worship all right you're somebody and the church has taught us for years actually the spiritual way to be is to make ourselves as nobody as possible and that's spiritual 
But it's not. Jesus knew who he was and humbled himself. And actually, the more I read the book of John, the more amazed I am. You know what? People are likely to stone me for saying these things. But you know what? Christians have been made part of the Godhead. That's not me saying. That's what Jesus said. He's in you, you're in him, and we're in the Father. That's inclusiveness, isn't it? Jesus, when he prays for us in John 17, he says, they're not like, they're like me now. They're not of this world. So I'm praying for them because they're still in the world. You're not of this world. As a Christian, you're not of this world. First and foremost, your citizenship, your nature, your home, your inclinations are all heaven-sourced and heavenly realities first before all the earthly stuff we have to do, you know, eat and drink and get jobs and raise babies and all those kind of things which is happening in this church more and more. We just kind of grow by whatever means. <laughs> it's great to see you guys. It's just good to celebrate the goodness of God, isn't it? New birth, baby's birth, people healed. We just want to enjoy all that God is doing. The church, the church has made people small, and, and it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a loop. If servants need masters, then masters need servants, so masters aren't going to tell you how great they are because they want you to get on and do what they tell you to do. They want you to conform, not be creative. So church gets filled with people who are happy to conform and, and, and are less inclined to go do something radical. And if they do, it usually ends up as a breakaway group because the model isn't stretchy enough to include what God is birthing in you. It has to fit the model that's coming from the top. Hello? I don't think that's the church that Jesus is building. His intention was always to have only one church. So we've got something wrong. Since the Reformation, there's been a new church formed about, I think we've had three in that pause. <laughs> if you go around the world, we've, we've been bad at togetherness. We're not getting something right. Church is heavenly family. It's not run by masters, it's run by the Father and fathers that he raises up. That means that we need to be brothers, sisters, sons and daughters, moms and dads. Yeah, first of all, that's the nature of, of the kingdom, his family. And the church is meant to be a theater of dreams. I've borrowed the, I'm sorry girls, ladies, women, this is a football thing, but I am a guy and I like football, so it kinda, it's going to bleed into my examples. Bobby Charlton christened Old Trafford the theater of dreams. It's a massive football stadium in Manchester, and it's now known as the theater of dreams. Why is it called the Theatre of Dreams? It's called the Theatre of Dreams because it's where both players and supporters' dreams come true. If you get to play for Manchester United, I think they're on course for their 19th Premier League title if they win this year. So they've got 18, they've got another one to go. If you play for that team, you are highly likely to win some significant trophy to put on your and it gives people significance. They feel good about that. They train, they play hard, whatever they do, and they, you're likely to win the FA Cup, the European Cup, the Premier League, whatever. Your dreams as a player, because they're defined by who you are, your dream of doing something great, which is going to be winning something great, if you can get to be a player for Man United, there's a high possibility of that happening. In fact, there's a significant possibility if you play for them, you become a legend. And in their own blurb, if you go on the website where they're trying to get you to sign up for tours and come to matches, they actually say that you can come here. This is the place where players' dreams are fulfilled, where they win things in their own literature. It says this, this is a chance to see the legends of tomorrow in action today. Actually, it's true if you've been there a couple of years ago and watched, I don't know, Ronaldo or somebody score all those goals and now he's playing for Real Madrid. And If you like football and you're in that world, you'll be watching TV programs in years to come and they'll be talking about how great it was when this and that player 
I know some of you are falling asleep and some of you are like, yeah, I get this. Why is it a theatre of dreams? And it's a theatre of dreams for the supporters because you go there, the team, the team wins most of the time. I'm a football supporter. I support Newcastle United. <laughs> Away the lads. But that's a roller coaster ride of emotions. You don't know if you're going to win, lose, or draw. You don't know if you're going to drop out the league or, you know, someone's going to get sacked. I mean, it's just kind of random. It just kind of pulls you in all directions. You know, you can have a dream, it turns to a nightmare within a week. And I've been tempted to convert to being a Man U supporter because you consistently go, we're winning. It's a bit boring. You just win all the time. So your dreams of me as a supporter are fulfilled because it's, why? It has a legacy. It has momentum. It has resources. They have 76,000 people that can get in their stadium. It's probably the widest supported football club in, on the planet in the world. So they sell merchandise, they sell TV programs, they sell, they sell. This whole thing has got momentum and it's been there for years now. It's going to be really hard to kind of get them off top spot. It's a theater of dreams. That's what the church should be like. Except it's not all about football. Help me here, you know. It's not all about football. But it's a place with resource, a place where you can dream when you come and you expect to have a dream, you expect to see something happen. Not when you have to check your imagination at the door. Uh, he turned to me, because we're supposed to read the Bible, it's church, to Genesis 37. And we're going to go to Acts 2. Yeah. Joseph's dreams, it's headed in my Bible. <laughs> Boy, does he get in trouble. This is the, verse 2, this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had, this 17-year-old guy in his brightly colored robe. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. It's not even subtle, is it, the meaning? His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he wasn't smart to keep quiet, and he told his brothers, Listen! I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars are all bowing down to me. <laughs> when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come da bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Teresa, would you read that verse to me? Can you find it? This is many years later, you know, after he's been through all the malarkey of uh, being sold as a slave. Then he goes into Potiphar's house, where he does really well, rises through the ranks. Potiphar was quite a senior member of the Pharaoh's regime. He gets promoted. Uh, then his wife fancies him, which is a bit difficult. And she lies and tells her husband that he's raped her and sacked her. And he gets put in the jail. And then he has a couple of dreams, tells them to these guys. They totally forget about him. He's still in jail. But even in jail, he continues to prosper and do really well. The head jailer decides this guy's great and recruits him to help run the jail. 
Then you fast forward a few years and Pharaoh has a few dreams and uh, all his wise men are like, think it's the cupbearer suddenly remembers Joseph. Oh, there was this guy in prison who's really good at interpreting dreams. Joseph, his name is. Right, says the king, get him in here. So they do him up, dust him up, shave him, wash him, put him in some nice fancy clothes, and he goes to Pharaoh, interprets the dream. It's spot on. Not only does he interpret the dream, which is pretty... Well, when he, when he gets before Pharaoh, it's quite amazing, right? This guy's been in prison, and uh, he has made it into Pharaoh's court. We haven't really got anyone like Pharaoh nowadays, apart from perhaps Mugabe or somebody like that. You know, we haven't got a dictator who is an absolute ruler and what he says goes. So he comes before Pharaoh, and he says, uh, I hear you're quite good at interpreting dreams. And he says, totally blew me away, remember he said, no, I'm not, but God has given you this dream for a reason, and I will ask him what it means, or words to that effect, which I thought was pretty bold, because at that moment, Pharaoh could have said, right, your God's going to help you, is he? Back to prison, now, but he didn't. Anyway, not only does he interpret the dream, he comes up with a plan. He says, what you need to do is save a fifth of the harvest for seven years, store it away, problem sorted. When the famine comes, build big storehouses in every city. When the famine comes, distribute the grain. You're minted. Great plan, says Pharaoh. I think you're just the guy to do it. A couple of years, well, nine years pass. Seven years, just like he promised, of great abundance, um, where the grain, the crops all flourished. Joseph rushes around building cities in storehouses. Then the famine begins, and it's just like God told Joseph. It's severe, so nobody's got any food, and they start selling this grain to people. By year two, the famine spread so far that even Israel's been affected, and uh, is it Jacob, his dad, sends his brothers down to get grain, and they turn up in the court of Pharaoh. And this whole, I, I find it dead encouraging, there's this whole process where Joseph... He doesn't walk straight up to his brothers and say, Hi, it's me, Joseph. He goes through this whole elaborate process involving hiding cups, saying that they've paid for grain and then putting the money back in the sacks, trying to get him to bring his younger brother down. And just to see, I think part of the process is he's testing his brothers to see how much of you guys really changed. And part of it is healing to him, I think because they were so horrible to him. I mean, they really were horrible. Anyway, this goes on, hiding of cups, selling of grain, etc., etc. And eventually, he invites them to his house for a big meal. And they're all a bit mystified, because he sits them in their exact birth order from the eldest, because there's 11 of them all together. Is that right? So they're all, and they're a bit mystified, because by now they're really old guys, and you wouldn't really know who's the eldest and who's not. Anyway, he then says this. <laughs> Sorry. Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. And when they'd done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. <laughs> what a No, I'm the brother you sold into Egypt. Now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it wasn't you who sent me here, but God... He made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. I'd never seen that before. I thought, wow. He says he made me a father to Pharaoh. He was only 32, I think, when he said that. Isn't that amazing? So 
God made him a father to Pharaoh and ruler over all his household. So 17-year-old has a crazy dream. His brothers hate him, throw him in a hole. But the dream comes true. And he becomes the father of a whole, a whole nation. That's incredible, isn't it? Pharaoh treats him as a wise advisor, as someone who has input into his life. He's a father to the ruler of possibly one of the most powerful nations on the planet at that time. He has oversight not only of the grain, but of the household of Pharaoh, as well as the affairs of state. This is a huge promotion from a jail cell is it not and it's almost instant I mean the closest thing in living memory would be what happened to Nelson Mandela who spent so much time in jail in South Africa and then suddenly is president but everybody knew about Mandela even when he was in jail Joseph was a nobody everybody forgot about Joseph but he had a dream and it was an outrageous dream but it was a God dream and he held on to his dream, and when the dream came true, he became someone who influenced a whole nation, and actually nations for God. He became a father to the, one of the most powerful men on the planet at the time, because he followed this dream and all that it meant. And listen, folks, we're called to be dreamers, so if you, if you can go there, you can look in Acts chapter 2, or I'll read it to you. In the last days, God says, verse 17, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on your servants, both men and women, I pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Prophecy, dreams, and visions are the inheritance of sons and daughters of God. They're not now the exception, they're the rule. They're for everybody. And in fact, the way that the language of the spirit to us comes through prophecy, visions, and dreams. God doesn't write you a letter and send it in the mail and tell you this is what you're going to be. He does it through visions and dreams. Uh, There's a phrase that Yonggi Cho, the pastor of the biggest church in the world, uses, the language of the Holy Spirit is visions and dreams. Isn't that exciting? But if you don't value visions and dreams, then you're going to miss something because God's going to be saying something a certain way and you're going to be saying, I want to hear it a different way. If you don't value prophecy, visions and dreams, you think God should somehow deliver his plan and purpose for your life by another fashion, then you may actually start to miss the things that he is trying to communicate to you and me. Uh, the church is meant to be the home of a powerful God who has begotten powerful sons and daughters who dream outrageous dreams. The church is the home of a powerful God who has begotten powerful sons and daughters who dream outrageous dreams and end up changing nations. We'll change the nation or change the city or change your school or your hospital or your place of study because you have a dream. One of the things the devil wants to do in your life is kill your dreams and choke them off dead. He wants to stop you dreaming. He wants to stop me dreaming. He wants me to feel that I'm not worthy of anything great in my life. Now that was true before I met Jesus and he died on the cross, but it's not true now that he suffered all the wrath and punishment for my sin. I'm now worthy of all his blessing. I'm not unworthy. I've been made worthy. So the devil spends a lot of time trying to persuade Christians that they're still unworthy or that Jesus has made them worthy. Dreams are one of the most powerful things to operate in your life. And one of the, part of the inheritance of being sons and daughters of God is you get to dream amazing dreams. You can have them. You should entertain them. You should, you should, you should culture them. You should breed them. You, a son and daughter of God is meant to be an incubator for the dreams of heaven. That's one of the ways that heaven's plans manifest on earth is God starts to drop dreams in the hearts and minds of his sons and daughters and they incubate and they, and they ferment and they grow and that's how what he wants done 
from heaven to earth starts to happen because it's, it's incubated, it's birthed inside of you. Hello? Isn't that exciting? And then for everybody. Now, if you've been a Christian as long as John and I have, and I've met a few people who've been a Christian as long as John and I have, and if you talk to them about dreams, they'll start to talk to you about not getting your hopes up. Now, young man, young woman, it's very good that you're so excited about Jesus, but don't get your hopes up. Anybody had that kind of thing said to them, either now or in the past? Don't get your hopes. Don't. Do you know why? They're actually trying to protect you from disappointment. And they're trying to protect you from disappointment because the well-known proverb in the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart, what? sick and they have had disappointment in their life that has made their heart sick and that's broken heartedness is a horrible place to be they don't want you to catch that disease so they say the solution is don't hope yeah so how do you prevent heart sickness don't have any outrageous dreams keep your dreams kind of achievable you won't be disappointed if you don't have things to be disappointed about so calm down young man or woman But God operates differently. He gives a 17-year-old lad an outrageous dream. He dreams that his parents and all his sons and daughters are going to bow down to him and the sun and the moon. And he's outrageous enough to share it with them. But it was God... It was extreme, but it was God. Because God's extreme. He's outside all of our limits. He's limitless. He could take anybody and make them amazing. Because He's amazing. It's not down to our resources, our resourcefulness, our skill or ability. It's Him. He's the limitless one. But hope deferred does make the heart sick, and sick hearts don't drink. Desire fulfilled is the tree of life, is the rest of the proverb. So what do you do? See, you don't have to be old to be disappointed. You're more likely to be disappointed if you're old, because you've had longer to get disappointed. <laughs> so you know, so I, I probably have a, a larger set of disappointments than someone who is 15 years younger than me, just because I've been on the planet longer. But you don't have to be old to be disappointed. But disappointment makes the heart sick and it makes the incubator break. And disappointment makes the heart sick so it can't dream and it, the heart forgets who you are. To, to dream, you need to believe you're something. That's why 17-year-olds get those kind of dreams because they believe they're indestructible. If anybody who's raised teenagers or is young enough to remember what it's like to be a teenager, you just believe life goes on forever and you're indestructible. <laughs> yeah, and then you get to be 60. But the dream's still in place. Sick hearts need repairing so that they can dream again. You lose, disappointment makes you lose sight of who you are. And therefore you stop to dream because you think you blame yourself. And uh, I think God's been doing a revolution in my life. I'm just going to give you some personal story just to illustrate what I'm trying to say. Four years ago we went through absolute hell as a church and personal hell as a leader. And at the end of it, I was sick as the proverbial parrot in my heart. And, and it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. I can remember waking up having, I've never had panic attack in my whole life. And it's a horrible feeling when you're clinging to the windowsill and your body's out of control, shaking. Because suddenly your whole life is out of control. And all the dreams you had for this church you were going to plant seemed to be totally blown out of the water and all the dreams you had for your ministry seemed totally blown out of the water. And you have no solutions. 
And literally, I can remember, this is, God, I think I'm going to die. I'm out of control of my body. I'm out of control of my breathing. I'm out of control of my brain. I'm staring at the window, and I'm clinging on with fingernails. Waking up at 3, 4 in the morning, over and over and over again, needing to sleep but not being able to sleep. And I can remember walking, uh, there's a, a moment I walked into our kitchen and I'd done, I can't remember what I'd done wrong, but I'd done something fairly minor wrong. And I remember out of my mouth came, you stupid idiot, you're just such an idiot. You're just so, all this declaration about what a total jerk I was started coming out. And at that moment I felt the Holy Spirit say, stop that. That's not who you are. But that's who I felt I was. So dreams collapse, sense of who I was collapse. And that's a pretty dreadful place to be. But God is an expert at repairing sick hearts. He's amazing. I've got more dreams I can possibly fulfill in my lifetime unless God shows up pretty amazing. What repairs you? Because some of you need fixing, whether you're young or old, because we're all supposed to be dreamers in this room. Outrageous dreamers. Thinking that amazing things are going to happen in your future. <laughs> Doesn't matter how old you are. If you're over 60, you still need a dream. And the dream needs to be beyond you, outside of your capacity to fulfill it. Otherwise, it's not from heaven. Because God wants you to have a dream that needs Him. Yeah? We sang it, come away with me. He's calling us, come away with him. Come away, come away. I've got a plan for you. It's going to be wild. It's going to be great. It's going to be full of me. But how does he, how do he fix me? Love fixes broken hearts. There's enough love in God to totally transform you on the inside over and over and over and over again. What changed for me? I was worshipping to a CD in our back room and I was worshipping away and, but deep down there's this kind of, kind of it feels like immovable concrete because everything has said to you this, you are a failure and your dreams have failed and all the evidence is there, and it's conclusive. So rationally, you're stuck. You're absolutely stuck. But I'm worshipping. I'm worshipping Jesus to this CD. That I just felt there was anointing on this CD. So I'm worshipping, i got my, my arms in the air, and I just kind of keep going through the whole CD. And I just come to this point where ha ah, starts to, the words, we've sung it here, and I love this song. Oh. oh, feel it now. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> can't remember the words, but I can feel the feeling. <laughs> his presence. Wow, the, his presence just came in the room, and I'm just singing about his love. His love makes it worth it all. His love makes it worth it all. And I said, God, it doesn't. That's not how I feel. It doesn't feel like your love makes it worth it all. It feels like... You go through a lot of crap to serve you, and it isn't worth it. That's what I honestly felt. This ministry thing really sucks. This love would be pretty, got to be pretty amazing if it's going to move me from it really sucks to your love makes it worth it all. All I can say is I can't understand it, but as I kept worshipping, his love came in, and it it's bigger than any disappointment that you can experience. Ah. Huh. Hello? Some of you need this today. Some of you facing challenges that are disappointing you by the hour. His love makes it worth it all. His presence, His resources, His being is able to consume that concrete in your soul. Ha. Huh. As you draw near to Him. Huh. It's never too late. You're never too old. You're never too young. To be restored by the love of God and to get a new dream.
or to have the old one re-inflated. Dead dreams live. We don't know all the stuff that Teresa described, that, that, but what Joseph went through. We don't know emotionally, did he have times where he just gave up on it, where he was stuck in some hole or some jail. But we know his dream lived because his redeemer lived. Because it wasn't his dream to start with, it was God's dream. Uh-huh. As someone once said, what God orders, he pays for. And what we've got to do is turn disappointment on its head. So if you had a dream, and you've suffered delay, rejection, betrayal by those close to you, false accusation, persecution or sexual temptation, join the club! Join the club with some of the best people in the Bible. Join the club with Joseph. He was rejected by his brothers. They threw him in a hole. And then they sold him for a slave. Then he was, he was tempted sexually. Then he was false. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. David. We don't know if he had a dream, but he's certainly on the mountainside. But we know when Solomon, Solomon, Saul, Samuel, Get the right S, tick, 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 through my Bible characters here, came and anointed him. He, he anointed him with honor and said, you're going to be king of this nation. And he's like, whoa, if he didn't have a dream before, he's got one now. And then he goes through horrors. He's rejected by a king. His brothers think he's stuck up. He's chased around the desert. He's hiding in caves. This guy knew what it was to look, to feel like the dream is never going to come. Folks, if you have a dream and it's been difficult, it's been disappointing, you've been rejected, you've been accused, you've been persecuted, you've been tempted, that means it was from God. Turn it on its head. It's all a great sign that God's on your case. (laughs) It's all a great sign that what you dreamed was actually authentic. And yes, it's been tested. It says of Joseph, the word of the Lord tested him. He got this thing in his spirit that he couldn't pull out. Probably there are times where you've got it in you and you want to throw it away because you think it would be much easier to go and be a plumber than do this. (laughs) Well, that's what you think. (laughs) It would be much easier to go and sell life insurance or whatever it is. There's always a grass is greener moment for the disappointed dreamer. You know, let me just get out of this. Because this is causing me so much pain. Stay in for the dream. It's going to come true. Hmm. So if it's been rough, it means it was true. Turn it on its head. Huh. <laughs> I feel like I've got more dreams than ever. God fixes hearts. The dream machines start to work again. The imaginations start to fire up again. The visions and dreams from heaven start to land again, and you become an incubator for heaven's plans being manifest on the earth. You have to be that. You can't just do the same old, same old. Church has been doing that too long. There's a nation to save. There's a world to change. And we're really, really small. So we need really, really vast dreams. And God can fill them with his light. Ha. Huh. <clears throat> but what's a dream? I want to say something it, it isn't. I'm probably not going to finish this today, but that's okay. I think I'm about to shoot a sacred cow in my perspective. So let's kind of bring it right up here. In church, in my lifetime of church leadership, it's become more and more important to have a vision. Church leaders are always asking, what's your vision? What's your vision for the church? Have you got a vision statement? You've got to keep a vision in front of the people because without vision, the people perish. It's in the Bible, Proverbs. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have a vision. 
And I know church leaders spend months, years even, discussing what's their vision, what's their vision. And they work on it and they write something down. And they usually come up with something around like, we're here to love God, one, love one another and reach the lost. Or some version of that. And they take months to do this. <laughs> like it's a genius thing. And then they show you their vision pamphlet. And I'm going, yeah. And in the inside of me, the honest thing is, I thought, this is a waste of time. But everybody's doing it, and everybody's quoting Proverbs 29, and people are having success doing it. And on the inside, I'm going, I'm not totally comfortable with this. Why am I not comfortable with this? I should be more like them. I'm a church leader. Ha. You've got a vision cast. You've got to have a vision. You've got a vision statement. You've got to have a mission statement. Now, listen, I'm not arguing that we need to know our purpose, all right? But there's something about calling a vision statement a vision statement that isn't biblical. About to pull trigger on sacred cow. I looked it up in the Bible, of the 102 mentions in the NIV of the word vision or visions, none of them mean what vision statement means. None of them. None of them are the product of some people in a room figuring out what the Bible says a church should be and writing it down in a pithy sentence. It doesn't, none of them mean that. None of them mean a slogan or a, or a strap line or something that you say to make people give more money. None of them mean that. Even the verse that's quoted to support the idea, that doesn't mean that either. The ESV is a better translation of Proverbs 29, without vision the people perish. It says that without prophetic revelation the people perish. Ha! It's all about dreams and the, the word vision in the Bible is about supernatural dreams and visions. It's about God showing up and going, breathing something incredible into your head or your heart, about putting you to sleep and making you see incredible things, about making you look at stars and then breathing meaning into what you're seeing and saying your life is going to be consumed with reproduction. Somebody was prophesying freedom over me. You've got to watch what you say. I need to apologize. I just remembered I, last week at the end, I prayed a prayer. Some of you may not remember. I prayed a prayer in slightly mock religiousness. And I really, as I closed my mouth at the end of it, I thought, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And I want to say to you all and whoever's listening, I really blew that. I really want to honor everybody that loves Jesus no matter how they express it. And just sometimes in this desire to sort of illustrate something by using contrast, I went too far and I'm, I was gutted for several days because <laughs> the Holy Spirit was like, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. So I'm sorry, guys. Just We, we don't do that. I don't want to do that, but I did it. So if it's out there. I'm sorry. Please, God, forgive me. Will you forgive me? Uh, but there's this whole momentum to this idea that you have to have this vision. Now, I'm, I'm st- what does this do to us? If we think vision is this thing that leaders come up with and write on the headed paper, it means that it's something that's, we think vision is something that's worked out in a room by leaders who want to come up with a Bible-based statement, and we start to lose the true meaning and value of the word, and we then start to lose the experience. You're supposed to, remember we we read Acts chapter 2, sons and daughters, you have dreams, you have visions. That's part of your inheritance as a son and daughter. You're supposed to get them, all of you. It's not just for leaders. We start to think it's for special people. Only they can figure out what vision is. No, you can have one. It's for free from the Holy Spirit. Isn't that exciting? Go to bed tonight and say, God, I haven't got a dream. He'll give you one. Huh. People end up thinking that the church has the vision, but not them. 
you're supposed to have one. People think that, that if they've got one, that theirs then doesn't fit the presented one, so they go and start another church. That happens over and over. Well, I don't fit. What I'm carrying doesn't fit the constraints of what's been defined here. And that's because we've shrunk what vision means rather than expanded what vision means. Huh. People end up thinking they get their vision from leaders. Well, you can, but that's not the exclusive avenue. The first place to get it is from the Holy Spirit. Have I shot enough bullets into this sacred cow yet? <laughs> Dreams come from heaven into our hearts, and they describe the nature of God's purpose for your life. They come in a way that's meaningful to you. And what God's, God's got a plan for you. He made you a certain way. He's gifted you a certain way. But often we're not aware of it. We don't know what our shape is. We don't know why we're on the planet. And lots of people spend their whole lives trying to figure out why am I here. They go on journeys around the world to find themselves. That's the wrong destination. You only find yourself in Him. He made you and He gives you a vision that helps you discover who you are. Ah, that was a good point. Oh. We are uniquely formed and equipped by God for a glorious purpose on the earth. Dreams and visions can come spectacularly, like Joseph, or subtly. They can kind of grow and develop and kind of marinate, and we start to go, whoa, I've got a dream. I've got a dream. I've been carrying it since I was a teenager. I went to a Bible week, and for a whole year afterwards, Day and night, I woke up, all I could see was a glorious church in the UK. Like with fire in it and glory on it. And people with glory on their faces. And healings and miracles. And people streaming to the church. Because it was a place of incredible glory. I can still see it. It was burned into my soul. It's going to come. And I'm going to be part of it. Ah, that's one of many. Isn't it good? It's a good one though, isn't it? Well, we'll go with that. Dreams are important because huh, they give you access to the resources of heaven. Dreams give you access to the resources of heaven. When you know what you're here for, you know what God's lined up for you, you can then access it. When you don't know what you're doing, it's, do, do you see what I mean? God knows who you are. He made you, and he's got a plan. And he lines up all these fantastic resources. But you and me are like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, I have a bit of that. Oh, oh, I like what he does. Yeah, that's amazing. I like to be like him. And, and you, you can do it on the back of someone else's anointing for a bit, but then God's got all this stuff over here. And then, you, and then you touch it for a moment, and then you go, wow, that's amazing. But I like this. This guy's doing something really cool. God, I like to be like him. And God says, come over here. The one I've got for you is going to be scary, amazing, brilliant, exciting. Yeah, but this, this could be... Dreams give you access, huh? If you want a Bible verse, go to 1 Peter 4, 10, 11. Not time to read it up. But we administer the grace given us, which is given on the gift given us. And we, slow down. You get given a gift, which is yours. The dream activates the gift. And then you move in the gift and you get grace on the gift to administer your gift to other people. And you serve, but you don't serve with your own strength. It says you serve with the strength that God supplies. And the outcome is he gets all the glory because he gave the call, he gave the dream, he gave the gift, he gave the energy. So he gets all the glory. That's a quick outline of 1 Peter 4. So if you know what your dream is, you line up to connect with God's resources for your life. Outrageous resources, huge resources. They're laughing at me. 
I wonder why. <laughs> oh, I've got to land this. Some people don't want to dream because they think God's dream for them is going to be dull. All I want to, all God's going to want me to be is a missionary to Africa and live with almost no food, barely any clothes, and no football. Now, for some people, that dream pushes all their buttons. You know, but for some of you, it pushes none of our buttons. Because God's not made you to do that. But you have something that pushes your buttons. But let's not, because we lift up in the church, we lift up dreams that are like that, people start to think those are the only dreams that are legitimate to have. Well, my dream is to lead a church of 15 million people. <laughs> How outrageous is that? But that sounds really holy. You know, my dream is to lead a business that turns over 15 million pounds. doesn't sound so holy, but actually can be just as much God. My dream is to cure lots of people of incurable diseases. That can be God. My dream is to break through into new realms of, of how we care for people in the community. That dream can be from God. My dream is... Education needs a shake-up. I mean, we're, we're letting people down. We're, let, we're, we're failing the least able. Oh, my dream is to see them equipped and rescued and something come alive and a structure and a system come alive that actually we can revolutionize teaching for the less able. That's a dream from heaven. And on and on and on and on. You don't need to go to Africa in a stick hut wearing virtually no clothes, watching no television to have a dream from God. corporate sigh of relief I can feel it <laughs> dreams are a sign that you're a son they're a, they're a hallmark they're, 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 they're a revelation to you that you are who God says you are if you've got a dream you know you're a son or a daughter slaves don't dream or if they do all they dream of I want to be free I want to be free but they have no opportunity they have no resources or opportunity to explore their dreams sons of heaven do because we have all the resources of our Father in heaven right behind us to see the dreams that He's given us come to pass. So the church is meant to be a place where you dream and you see them fulfilled. Um, my goodness, we've got to stop. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to have a ministry time. That was, in preaching terms, that was termed a crash landing. That was kind of a, okay, switch off the engines. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would fail most, oh, what's, the, what's the classes that you do for preaching? I've forgotten them. Homiletics, that was disastrous. Anyway, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure we've walked away from it yet. <laughs> um, oh, this is fun. Uh, uh, well, I hope it is for you. I'm having fun. Um, oh, there's so much to pray into. Jan, you had some words of knowledge. And really, we want to see people restored today to dream.